Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Strong Dads Community. I'm your host, Charlie Ford. This podcast is part of Thumos, a community optimizing men for growth, purpose, and impact. You can find us on most social media platforms under the handle Strong Dads Community, or you can check us out at strongdadscommunity.com. Thank you all for listening today. I hope the parallels in these stories encourage you to realize your own potential. Today, we have a husband, a father, and a grandfather. He has a vast portfolio in coaching senior business executives, and he's got a passion around leadership effectiveness and emotional competency, and he's about to publish his very first book. He's the man, the myth, and the legend in the making, Mr. Stan Goss. Welcome to the show, Stan. How are you doing today, bud? Hey, Charlie. Good to see you. Thanks for the legend part. I think mostly in my own mind, I'm a legend, but <laughs> yeah. get, get accused of that once in a while. Good to be here. <laughs> Thank you. That's good, man. Uh, so so I, I think the biggest thing, the hottest thing on your plate right now is you have a book coming out uh, that you've got publishing uh, probably within the next few weeks. Is that right? It'll be on Amazon January 2nd. Excellent. Yeah, it could be ordered then January 2nd. Yes. So what's Great. the name of it? So the title of the book is Tears of Sorrow, Tears of Joy. Stories and Lessons Learned in a Grace-Filled Life. And uh, in the preface of the book, I say uh, it's my first book. I'm 85 now. And um, the story really started when I was eight. And the book's about the space between then and now. And it has a lot to do with men and men's work along the way, because in my life when i finally found men's work or i should say it found me it changed everything for me and um you know it's a very compelling story about uh, all the stories are about god's grace in my life and uh there's always god's grace in our life if we can just look um for that in spite of all the other things that happened to us well, so Stan. yes it's yeah, okay. I, I think, uh, you know, just for all the listeners out there that may not know, it, it's it's really interesting that you were the precursor with the Mankind Project behind what is now known as Thumos uh, that Jody has started. And uh, he attributes that to to his experience in the Mankind Project and specifically with you. And uh, so so I'd, man, I'd really like to get into um, your experience there and what got you in was that was that your first experience in in men's work with the with the well then it was called the new warrior adventure weekend ah okay and, and had, um <clears throat> so the way that happened and this is all in the book by the way i'll preface that a lot <laughs> i was a i was a deeply wounded man had extraordinary tragedy early in life, um, death, and I lost everybody when I was a young boy, my parents, my grandfather, my mother, and even my only sibling, sister. <clears throat> so I kind of wandered around in the world with that for a long time. Um, and then um, what happened was, um, and I cried a lot. You know, the first chapter in my book is called entitled Men Don't Cry. <laughs> mm. And 
there's a story in that that's a phenomenal uh, Holy Spirit story that happened in my warrior experience. But so at the age of 52, we went to see the movie Field of Dreams. You may remember that movie with Kevin Costner. I sure Costner. do. Yep, I remember that. And his, um, you know, it was a story of a, a cornfield in Iowa. If we build it, they will come. And it, who he reconnected there was the ghost of his father, who had been long gone. And they were playing catch by the corn. And I had this memory buried deep in my unconsciousness of me playing catch with my dad by the corn. And it, it was, I was 52 at the time, but it took me right back to eight. And I opened up and cried for a long time. I had no idea what was going on. Is that the and age then, that you lost your parents uh, at the age of eight? Well, I, the men, I lost the men. I was a eight-year-old kid and I was with my grandfather one day and he had a heart attack and died and I was alone with him. And then two weeks later, my uncle was driving my father and I were following my uncle at night and my uncle had a flatbed truck with a uh, with a uh, tractor chained on the back and he drove in a ditch the tractor broke loose pinned my uncle in the cab my father went for help left me with my uncle and my uncle died mm. and, and this is all what when you were eight years old this is you, you saw two grown men uh, tragically die at the age of eight. And then two weeks later, I was out one night with my dad plowing and he had a heart attack and died. Oh man. And I was eight. Oh man. And that's just the beginning of the story, Charlie. It's a uh, really quite amazing, uh, what happened. And it, it, it's, so just to take that along, I so my mom had a lot of trouble dealing with this and moved with me into this city, Aurora, Colorado. And uh, she really had a lot of trouble coping with all this. She became severely alcoholic. And when I was a teenager, uh, one night, um, um, I got a call to come to the house and she had pulled the panel off the furnace in the house and the house was full of carbon monoxide gas. And she and my only sibling, 15 year old sister died. And I was a teenager. Oh my gosh. Pretty astonishing. And if you read the story in the book, what happened after that was phenomenal. God's grace in so many ways. So did you have relatives left uh, that, that you could live with after you lost your mom and your sister? Not really. I was a, I was a, a young teenager who had just gotten married, pulled out of school, but I didn't have any elder guidance or cousins or grandparents. It was, um, I was pretty much on my own. But here, two things I want to say, because I know a lot of times we talk about messages from that we carry around. I was never an abused child. I was a golden child. Mm. And and my parents gave me two messages that were important to know for every father. There may be people in Tumos that know about John Eldridge's work and 
you know, wild at heart and all that. And so I was told, and it was buried in my brain, that I had what it takes. And that carried me all the way to this point in time right now. And I was told that uh, God existed and Jesus loved me. Now, the eight-year-old understanding of that is pretty limited, and it's carried me and grown me spiritually to this point in time as we talk. Mm. So I went to so a friend of mine after all this the, the movie called me one day and he said, "Hey, I just came back from this really incredible weekend up in Wisconsin, and." Um, Tell me your story. And I told him my story and he kept nodding and saying, I think you need to go. So I did. Uh, we were my wife, we were really struggling financially at the time. But um, I just went back to the office, called the weekend coordinator in Chicago, signed up for the weekend, had no idea what it was. Called my wife. I said, hey, I'm going off to this weekend. It, I think it costs about $600 plus airfare. And she said, well, what are, they, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. I just need to go. And she said, okay, then go. And it was a point in time, a transformative point in time where it changed so much about me. And men who do this kind of work understand the transformative impact of experiences like that. And this was all at the age of 52? Yep. Right. I had never heard of men's work. I had never been in a therapist's office. <laughs> um, carried a really good mask, looking good kind of guy. And I was so broken inside and had no idea. It was the most profound wake-up call of my life. And a lot of my work today, my ministry, and my work in the men's weekends I did, I was the wake-up guy. I was the guy that was going around screaming at men, wake up, wake up. And, and it's really, all of this journey has led me to Christ and, and faith. And um, so now this is biblical. And, you know, I, I like to say, wake up, you sleepers. Arise from the dead. Let the light of Jesus shine on you and through you. Because without without the Holy Spirit, I'm a dead man walking. And that's kind of an end game of my whole ministry today. Wow. So I did the Warrior Weekend. I did uh, ended up bringing the work to Texas at the time. I was the third man from Texas to go. And I was just a passionate, on fire, get weekends going. Uh, took a couple men back to Wisconsin with me, one of whom was one of the first of my four sons, who all did the weekend ultimately. Um, and just I was going to bring the work to Texas. And eventually it happened. And the, the Texas mankind community has grown substantially. I led 100 weekends all over the world, helped the men in England and Europe get going. Um, so, uh, I put a lot of my life into that and I grew, I taught leaders, I trained leaders, I trained men, loved on men, coached men, counseled men, 
it was really the thing that opened the door for me to go into the coaching world so, with so stan uh as you describe how you've gone around the world on these weekends i'm curious with all the different cultures and the different people that you've seen um can you just sort of describe the similarities across all these men versus some of the differences that you saw, you know, with the wide variety of, of men that you've dealt with? Well, what I, what I learned was below the neck, we're all the same. Mm. We're all glad, mad, sad, afraid, wounded, in denial. You know, what I love about weekends, you go and you leave all your labels we, you know, we tend, tend to identify by ourselves by what we do and how much we have. And, you know, the normal conversation is, well, how much, where do you work? And, you know, and um, when we go into that, that sacred space, I call it a retreat. Um, we leave all those labels behind. It really doesn't matter anymore. And what I said, certain, some men laughed at me a bit you know what happened on those weekends was men without all the labels and facades and and all that really truly loved each other they learned how to love another man which is the ultimate call of holy spirit love and um and, and so different people have different thoughts on what the impact of the experience is and what it should be. What I liked about it was that we, we had no expectations for the man except to create a place where he could go, quote unquote, do his work and take another path in life. That there's a very transformative reality of what happens you know in that space so you say you describe uh from the neck down being similar so from the neck up what what are the differences well the neck up is the, is a rational man you know i'm logical i you know i have a job i you know i'm good with metrics i'm good with numbers i i do things well um but men, and I'm, I'm going to just take a quick, not a lane change, but bring in. There's a man named Richard Rohr. Many men know him. He has an Illumin, Illumin men's work, work that he does in New Mexico. And a lot of these different men's movements. I, I went from the, I left the Mankind Project uh, found the Crucible Project, which is a men's Christian weekend, very closely patterned after Mankind Project. And then there's Thumos and others. I get introduced to a new one almost every week. Um, it's an initiation process. That's one way it's described. And, you know, the, uh, the right of initiation for a boy to go to a man is really important or it was in most cultures, and it's been lost in our country. And men need that. I mean, it's clear there's a way to go from that boy-conditioned state to manhood. You know, I would, I've never been on a Thumos weekend, but the process is clear. You go away together, 
there's a time of ordeal, there's a time of descent. Uh, and then I start to learn the new ways of men from, a, from an older, wiser man. And then I stay in my circle, I stay in my community, and um, we go from there. So what Rohr said, the whole thing that got me, this is quoting him, but it's my words too, into this work of understanding initiation was my understanding of the state of the male of the species, both clergy and layman. Rohr is Catholic clergy, but mm -hmm. I've seen the same. I've had the same observations about the modern church. We are not in good shape. We do not tend to naturally understand spirituality. In fact, I am convinced that the male is naturally resistant to its essential language of intimacy, surrender, patience, and trust. Men like roles instead of processes, uh, dressing up instead of dressing down. And so that's not a condemnation of men. That's just sort of a, a way of seeing men in general in today's society. You know, men are really good at doing things. They... They have a left brain um, um, that they use well in whatever they do. But the soul of our, the spirit of our work is really where the growth opportunity is for men. And, um, you know, I, I, I spent the last 20 years going around talking to churches about men's work. There's a, common lament in the modern church. I've seen it everywhere. We got to do something for the men. We got to do something for the men. But then there are those churches that do that well, and they kind of follow the way of the path that Thumos does or others do. But it takes time. It takes retreat. It takes surrender. It takes tenderness. It takes intimacy. It takes going deep. You know, I've found, and I still work with men. I have some groups that I work with. You know, men, as a rule, are not comfortable with going deep. They're not comfortable with surrender. They're not comfortable with trust the process. <laughs> and, and Stan, so, in, in your experience, why? You've got a vast amount of experience in this in this field, right? So why do you think they are they are so reluctant to do that? men and i say they i mean we <laughs> yeah us well i'm one too, us. so right yeah i also i also happen to be a man <laughs> and uh fear 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 i want to be in control i want to know what to do you know i've had so many conversations with men about the weekend experience although this is really broader than the weekend experience and um you know i've I don't know how you invite men to Thumos, but there's a trust the process element to it. And I, I, I remember having lunch one day with a man. Everybody thought, quote unquote, he needed the weekend. His wife thought it, the therapist thought it, his friend, and he was a doctor. And he just kept demanding that I tell him what we did. And I kept saying, trust the process, trust the process. And then I finally said, well, doctor, here's really what it's all about. It's all about surrender. And he said, okay, that's it. I'm not going. <laughs> I never mm -hmm. surrender. And of mm -hmm. course, the pain went on for another three or four years, and he ultimately went. So surrender, you know, it's the natural, it's the way 
to Christ. It's the faith walk. And surrender is not give up. Surrender is a point of view of trust that says there must be a better way. I just don't know what it is. And surrender is always an act of chosen discomfort. It's where someone says, okay, I'm not comfortable and I'll do it. Mm. That's pretty much the path of spiritual growth. So why why do men resist? They're human. They want to be in control. They want to know. They want to perform. And uh, you take all that away, what do they have left? Yeah. Man, that's so interesting. Um, you, you talk about, I like, I like your comparison of roles versus the processes. You're saying we're deaf, men are more likely to just lean themselves into roles versus processes. And so when you talk about trusting the processes, these processes you're referring to are the ones that lead men to go deep. Right. Exactly. Mm. Deep inside. <clears throat> And, you know, men, and we don't, we, we haven't done initiation in this society for decades. You know, there's a, there's the story is the young boy would be taken away from the mother's apron and by the men of the tribe and they would take him kicking and screaming out into the woods and he would go through this ordeal that felt like death and you had to have the ordeal and you have to win. And then the men of the village would teach him the ways of, of, of a man in the community to become back a man. Mm. Well, that eldership is, is, and it's a big point in my book, is missing in the culture and in the church today. And my ministry today is just a call for the renewal, the revival, and the awakening of eldership, spiritual eldership in society. So, so all of this, everything, this whole journey in men's work that that, that led you to the point you are now uh, in publishing your first book, this all started at the age of fifty-two. You, right. you in, in, along this, you you became an executive coach, and you started that process um, after that age. What what led you to think, okay, now that I know men's work, let me go after business executives? Well, people always ask me how I got to be a coach. I mean, what were my credentials? <clears throat> and it, it, it was a brand new field at the time. It wasn't very well known. And when they would ask me that, I would say, well, I always wanted to be a coach. You know, I was a kid. I was a fatherless boy. I was a good athlete. So the coaches in the school always kind of looked after me and took care of me and shepherded me through a lot of struggles. You know, I was before I was a teenage kid trying to be a golden child, you know, an athlete and a scholar and work three jobs and take care of an alcoholic mom. So I always wanted to be a coach. That was, I look back now, I I look back and I I talk about how God is a great dot connector. You know, when you're 85, there's a lot to look back at. (laughs) 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 And it's reflection. You know, it's reflection. Reflection is good. We need to reflect more 
to for me to see God's grace and everything. So I was, but I was a smart kid. So I was told, don't be a coach. They don't make any money, and and they, you know, they get fired all the time. So I, I had a lot of good educational opportunities. All the best schools. I had, uh, you know, full rides to the Colorado School of Mines, great school, Naval Academy. I, I, I was able to get, get into the best, some of the best law schools in the country. But I always wanted to be a coach. And, and the way it happened, I, I was just invited to work for a firm that did executive outplacement. That's where executives get fired. And... The company pays for somebody to help them through their transition. And I started doing that. I was a natural at it and I loved it. And one thing led to another. And, you know, it was, it was just crazy how I was learning and growing and, and in a, in a, in a uh, profession that was dominated by PhD psychologists. And I was not that. <laughs> And so I, I've, I've got so many stories. I was the, I coached uh, Ted Koppel and ABC Nightline and their old team. Oh man, did you? And I, this was all in parallel to you doing these Warrior weekends. Yes. Yeah. Were you able to incorporate a lot of the lessons from your weekends into your coaching, or are they were they separate? They they were incorporated, and a lot of you know what happens in these weekends. It creates a lot of therapists and wounded healers and coaches and people that really want to help. And what distinguished me from a lot of the warriors was that they wanted to go in the corporate boardroom and do a sweat. <laughs> and and I go that you know I, I've been in business long enough and I understand how that works. So. Um, but, you know, I got I, I met the men that I met the Ted Koppel team at a warrior weekend in Maryland one weekend. And there was a there were two men there and, and one of them we really clicked and we were at the feast on Sunday. and We were talking about what we did. And turns out he was the executive producer of ABC Nightline. Wow. And he said, well, I really think you he was the guy that ran everything. Ted Koppel was the celebrity. So we stayed in touch, and I did a weekend retreat for them. They had 85 people there that changed everything for them. They would tell you that. And mm -hmm. um, it was just process work that I kind of learned. I was a natural facilitator and coach. And so, yeah, I mean, it's in my book. You'll I coached the president of UTMB, which is a large medical school in Texas, for 10 years. I was a president's coach and I worked with all his staff, his team, the doctors, the department heads. Um, it was quite a array of, of clients, but it was all about leadership. And I kept learning, learning, learning. I kept adding, you know, I learned about transformational change, which is what we do on a weekend. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We transform a man, we wake him up. And so, so did, I learned. And, and, and I, well, I was going to say in all of those uh, years of coaching, is there anything that sort of stands out to you as a common theme? Was there something that always bubbled up for you when you were coaching, regardless of who it was? 
Well, that's a pretty good question. I don't know if I've pondered that one. Uh, so I had learned a lot about EQ, emotional intelligence, taught it, preached it. I had various assessment tools that I used. I became a real expert on um, transformational change. And then I, I integrated it all. So I would, whenever I would take on a new client, coaching client, whether it was an individual or a company, and I had a lot of both, I would say the premise of my work is that all the answers are in you. And my role in working with you is to create and bring out those epiphanies, those aha moments, so that you can see and have your own insight, which will help you grow, help you learn. <clears throat> and because we did, you know, in the work we did, it was inner work, you know, I could always ask the what's at risk question or, um, reflect back you know here's what i hear you saying and then you know i would send them off of homework and it would always be um, um something they need to do differently and they would do it and they would come back and they'd try it and they would go that was amazing and then people either in i always tell people because i worked on the soft side i was not a consultant or, you know, people always think a coach comes in and tells you what to do. No, that's a consultant. A coach is someone who helps bring out in you. It's called, here's why it's called development. Development is there's something in you that's latent that will bring out. And I used to get, remember it's development. So remember when there was film and cameras? Yes. We took a roll and what did we do? We took it to the drugstore and they developed it and they took those negative images and brought out what was really there. So in all of us, that's in us. And that's where the aha moment comes or the epiphany comes. And, and, and that's the whole premise of being a Christian, I will tell you. My next book is coming along as we speak. And it's about how the Holy Spirit works in us through epiphanies, revelations, aha moments, and paradigm shifts. Man, I love the, uh, Stan, I love the, the analogy there with the pictures. It It's something that resonates pretty hard with me because that that's exactly how I feel in terms of, uh, it, it, I, I think of it as passive versus active, being active in, in change versus right. passive. Like, uh, say you have something that's hurt on yourself and, and you need to go to physical therapy and they do some kind of dry needling, you know, that's, that's all, uh, that's, that's passive. Right. And what right. you're describing is something that is, it takes action and it has to be activated by the person receiving it and they have to be ready for it. And that's the exactly. only, that's the only person that could actually activate to get from the negatives to these beautiful pictures within them. And, uh, I, I just love that analogy, man. I think that's, that's spot on. Um, well, and there's so many stories. This is all in the stories. Uh, you know, this is not a formula. There is no formula. 
yeah. for this. It takes a process. It takes a presence. It takes an engagement. It takes a trust factor. It takes a a, a, a um, belief. You know, I've told so many people over the years, as my work transitioned, as God grew me, this is all about what God's done with me, uh, to, to take it to a higher level, higher, higher level, higher level, um, that um, there is a shift when we go through the ultimate transformation, which is, I'm probably going to, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Here's one. I, I always speak as a Christian. I believe your work is Christ-centered in nature. I don't know how that works exactly. I haven't really talked much to Jody about it, although I've given him everything that's needed in the appendix of my book, which is about awakening the Holy Spirit in us. <clears throat> but here's a paradigm shifter for you, Charlie. Yeah, talk to me. Um. When you get up in the morning, do you look in the mirror? I do. And and what do you do? I'll stare. Yeah. Shave. I'll there's shave. I'll, yeah, brush my teeth. You know the whole. There, there's the a, whole there's a ritual. ritual. There's a ritual, yeah. right? There's a ritual. I've got a chapter in my book about how rituals happen. Have you ever, the next time you look in the book, I want you to intentionally look at the man looking back. And there are a lot of things you can say that are true about you. One would be, good morning, child of God. That's a reality. Now, when you start to see the people in your world, I don't know, are you a parent? I am. Yes, I've got uh, two kids. Okay. Well, when, when they when you're seeing them, I know you're kind, loving, you're you know, it's all about fathering and strong fathering and um wouldn't hurt to remind them that that's who they are too. For example, that's a paradigm shifter. Yeah, it it it's it sounds you know as you describe it that sounds so um, simple. <laughs> it sounds it sounds so simple and easy to incorporate, but the impact when you truly believe that and you truly go through with it is uh, pretty pretty amazing. Because I, I've had moments like that, Stan, where and, and to your point, talking to my children and I'll I'll have sort of an emotional uh, sense of me in that particular instance and, and say something to them that's really heartfelt. And it's about, you know, them being here for a purpose and being directly a child of God. And it feels so good. And you could see them light up. And yet uh, something that can be vocalized every day. I don't do it every day. And I don't I don't necessarily make it a point to do it intentionally on a certain frequency even so uh so that john eldridge he wrote a book called son you have what it takes Mm. and that was his whole point boys 
need to know, they need to hear, they need to believe through reinforcement that you have what it takes. Because they're going to leave. And they'll go out in the world and they'll have whatever. And um, I believe in my case, I got that. I mean, I, I was a golden child. I was left on this stage and everybody died. And there's a lot back to the backstory, but that's why I could do 62 jobs. Wow. Do you ever look back at that, uh, look back at your childhood and um, have any resentment? No. No. It's God's grace working through me in a very unique way. <clears throat> I needed the healing. I got it on my weekend. After the weekend, there's there's a incredible chapter in my book about, and I'll tell the story. It's fairly brief. So when I talk about men don't cry, men don't cry. I always cried. I cried at every game. You know, men. I was always being told don't cry. <clears throat> and it was my father's ring that shifted that for me. And then. You have to read back to the Father's Ring story. Mm-hmm. So I was I was in a group. They call they were called I groups at the time, and you know we, we would always check in every day. We would check in and we'd you know emotional check in, and and then I had this very foreboding feeling that I was going to end up under the blanket. I don't know if you know the blanket in the tunnels, but. You know, it was a metaphor, and we did a lot of blanket work in the Warriors, and it was like a metaphor for being in the grave. And I said, I just had this feeling that I'll be in the grave. I don't want to work tonight. Well, of course, the next thing I know, I'm under the blanket on the floor. And my right brain saw me there in the grave with my father, my uncle, and my grandfather. And it pulled out this memory of me as an eight-year-old They were closing my father's casket. The pastor asked me if I wanted my father's ring. And I said, no, let him keep it. They closed the casket and I went into this incredible grief. It's the only emotion I remember around all of that. So flash forward 50 years or whatever. And there I am. And so one of the men said, well, do you want your father's ring? And I said, yes. So the men were scrambling around. They found a, a keychain ring and they slipped it on my finger. And I didn't have to fight my way out. It's like the burden of the world was lifted from my shoulders. Well, the burden of the world was lifted from that eight-year-old's boy who somehow felt responsible for all that. Stunning. Oh. Stunning. Stan, that is incredible. So I came home and I told my wife about it. She was thrilled and she said, well, what, tell me, what was your father's ring like? And I said, well, I remember it. It was an old, it was an Indian, silver Indian head, and it was all worn down, and I do remember that. Well, I didn't know she was colluding with my group, and they had a ring made for me. Wow. And I carried that ring. I'm looking at it right now. There's a picture of it in the book. It's on my talisman, and I would I'd be on weekends with that, and men would come up, and they would ask me, about the ring. And I would tell him, you know, this is my father's blessing. You know, that that blessing that came with this. And I would just say, 
you know, here, hold the ring. You'd like, would you like to hold the ring and feel your father's blessing? And it was a powerful time for everybody. Because how many men come to the work without that? Mm. So, <clears throat> so you uh, continued with your executive coaching uh, while you're doing this men's work and you're sort of combining the two, finding your way. Um, mm. at, at, did you expand your, uh, your coaching at any point or just did it automatically expand, you know, due to the sort of the nature of the, the popularity of your clients? Well, it was relational. So, you know, my seventies were my most profound decade. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I had more, cli- I had all the same clients. They loved me. I, I, they re, renew the work every year. They were paying me more more money than I ever dreamed I would have. It was easy. And then I started more of the spiritual journey. When I was 71, I, I, I enrolled in the Bible seminary. And I did eight semesters of the Bible seminary. And then when I was 80, I went through the Colson Fellows, which is another intensive learning process. And I actually closed, we closed my business officially when I was 80. We shut the business down. So when I describe my life now, I tell people, here's what I do. I plant seeds of faith wherever I go. I, I um, feed the hungry. I At any given time, I'll have 10 to 15, 20 people that I meet with one-on-one, coach, disciple, help out. Uh, I tell stories. That's my book. I encourage others to tell stories. And I disturb the system like Christ. And isn't that what we do on a weekend? Don't we disturb the man's system? I think that's a great way of describing it. Disturbing. Changing. Oh, how scary is that? Oh. You know, I, I, I think about uh, it, I, I'm just curious. You, you ha- it seems it's pretty apparent your, your energy level. I mean, I'm sure the listeners can get this. The energy that you have, the passion that you have around your mission, um, and it, it just seems like you're so resilient and you've got a lot of determination. And it, I'm curious, like for people that um, you know have a few years less on this earth than you do, <laughs> what? Uh, how do you justify or, or kind of manage between I mean it's so easy to look around right now at the world and sort of be bitter and in mm-hmm. that bitterness you know from what I've seen in just in numbers it usually gets worse as you get older and so right. how do you how do you manage between that feeling of bitterness as you age versus that optimism that you're describing as you publish your book and, and, and you've got these other activities that you're going, going towards. What, what, what do you attribute that to? Uh, well, you know, people always tell me I don't look my age, which is true. <laughs> and I tell them that's because you can't see my infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of corrosion in, under this skin. And, uh, <laughs> I'm still real involved. I'm on a couple of boards and I, I'm out there and uh, I'm in a group here in Katy called the Katy Christian Chamber. And it's a dynamic spirit driven group. And, 
you know, they have these lunches and everybody gets up and does their little show and tell. They get the mic. I am Joe. I sell real estate. And I'm Fred. You know, I'll do your plumbing. And they get to me. They know me. They call me the Holy Spirit guy because that's all I do. And the, the microphone dies. And the, the guy that's running this said, oh, I think the battery's dead. And I said, well, my battery's not dead. <laughs> my power source is the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. That is our power source. On the worst days, you know, I've got all these one-liners. I get out of bed in pieces in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it takes a while. Everything's a little slower. Everything's a little harder. And yet, you know, the Holy Spirit of Christ is so sweet. In my book, in my appendix, I talk about how most Christians are not aware that we have the Holy Spirit in us right now. C.S. Lewis said, we're like amphibians. We live in two worlds. We live in the material, natural, physical world and the spiritual world. But we're only trained in the physical world. And the Holy Spirit will grow. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, ultimately, and self-control. That's the old EQ. Manage my own emotions back to the joy state and be joyful. It's how what it's not what we do; it's how we are. That's why the churches today keep saying we need to make disciples. We need to make disciples. Let's have another program. But there are no programs. It's about how you are. And um, that's the promise of it all for for everybody. I mean, I, I sent Jody all the material. It's a pre pre ready small group ministry for people who want to do it. But um, so yeah, you know, I talk about you know, isn't it sad? The older people get, the more afraid they become. When all the experience of our life should point us the other way, all that stuff we feared never occurred and fear just got in our way and well i like to say what we do in life is a dance between fear and love cha 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 <laughs> you know fear is there's a whole teaching piece around fear that goes with this emotional learning and emotional intelligence that we do you know, what's what's the what's the truthful aha thing about fear is there's not one thing, Charlie, that you fear. Not one thing that has happened yet. Uh, it's all it's all uh, just sort of imagination. Well, something happened before I was hurt. Something happened <clears throat> and therefore it will be happen again. But that's not true. Fear. You know, fear as risk management is a tool of how you deal with your emotions. You know, EQ is something you need to teach all your kids and all that. <clears throat> but the thing that really fuels the action is love. That's biblical. And so the only way you overcome an emotion, you never overcome any emotion by just sitting with it. You have to do something. And it's that action step that goes from love that will move you along. 
Mm-hmm. It's biblical. Why do we why are we told fear not so many times in the Bible? So Stan, um, I'll ask you this question. What do you think what do you see as the purpose of life? Serve the Lord. Be like Christ. It's an incredible way to be. That's what we're called to be. So if you're a biblical believer, you know, Christ came um, as a man who was saved. He went on. What gets lost in the church is Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was given to every believer. And so... It's the wake up part for most people. It's not taught well. It's not understood well. You know, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And when you start to wake up and become aware and see that, then you're different. So to be a disciple, you know, the church says, go forth and be disciples. That's what Christ did. But you have to be Christ. We are Christ. You know, God gave us, Christ was incarnate. Now we're we're Christ incarnate. Change everything. I used to say, what would Jesus do in this situation? Now, the right question is, what is Jesus doing through me right now in this moment? And, of course, in this moment, I'm talking to Charlie. This is spirit-driven. This is spirit-filled. And once you start to learn to be that way, I can go to sleep like anybody. Because the, the new man is, is the childlike beginner's mind. The old man likes his ways. So let me tell you that. For example, I'm a big fan. Love sports. Last year, I'm watching the Astros in the World Series on TV. And I'm screaming at the umpire. And I'm screaming at Altuve. Fortunately, my sweet wife was right there with me and she said, honey, that looks like the old man. You look like the old man. Oh, so I got settled down. I'm calm. I'm peaceful. I'm enjoying the game. Present. It's a beautiful thing. So what, uh, you know, I don't know many, uh, many men in their 80s that are, you know, planning on writing books. What what got what made you decide, hey, this is a great thing to do. Let me write a book. A few years ago, I wrote a story. It's a it's the story of my sister and family. But the end of the story, it's, it's a compelling story of God's grace. I haven't even begun to share, share with you all that happened after that in my life. And it was like so stunning. And people said, you ought to write that down. So I wrote it down. It was. Uh, I had a, had a Word document. It was called Nancy. That was my sister's name. And I would sort of randomly give it to people. It was ministry and God's incredible grace in my life. And and so I would write here and there another story about God's grace. And um, And people have told me for years, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. I never got a book written until last year. I met a man, coincidentally, off. Facebook and we met and he publishes something called the Katie Christian magazine. And, you know, I told, I gave him this story and he said, 
that needs to be published. It's amazing. So he gave it to his young 26-year-old daughter. They edited it, put in pictures and subtitles, and put it on the Katie Christian magazine. So boom shakalaka, instead of an old geezer with these <laughs> these word documents that I just, I'm, I'm a published author. You can Google my name and go and read that story. Now, a lot of those stories are now in the book. So, you know, one thing led to another. And uh, finally, in May this year, I said, all right, it's time. And I just dug in and wrote the book and had great helpers and and of course, what happens now is there are a couple more books uh, in vitro in my brain, gestating, waiting to be born. <laughs> Did you say you're already working on your second book? Yes. Oh, wow. OK. I can tell you so, the title. This won't be the title, but here's what it is. Oh, my God. Wow. Now I get hmm. it. How, how the Holy Spirit works through epiphanies, paradigm shifts, revelations, and aha moments. You know, you're you're doing all of this, and and I think how how many years ago were you involved with the Warrior Weekend and the Mankind Project? I did my weekend when I was fifty-two. Okay, so uh, so over thirty years ago, you're you're involved with that. Then I, I'm just thinking of the ripple effect. We talk about that all the time. Is the ripple effect of all your actions and the people that are affected. And I think now to today in Thumos and me even having this podcast because of the gifts I found in Thumos and all of that stemmed from Jody going on a weekend that you were part of and helping with as a leader on that weekend. And here we are today. I've got you on a podcast. We're talking to each other about this stuff. And uh, it's just amazing. And uh, just a tribute to the work that you're doing, the work that you continue to do in the demonstration of your behaviors, regardless of age, you're going out and you're proving that anything's possible. And uh, Stan, I, I just uh, appreciate that. And I, I think that's a, it's pretty powerful. It's a pretty powerful uh, force. Well, it's called legacy, or I call it God's way of connecting dots. And we are the dots. You mm. know, I believe now that every human being God puts before me presents the opportunity for divine intervention. So ask Jody about our first weekend together. <laughs> <laughs> He's I'll let him yeah, he's described it, uh, I, I guess, a little bit more on the vague side. We didn't get into details, but he's described it uh, for the Thumos folks just to just to kind of get an idea of, of why he started Thumos. And, yeah. uh, and, and it's just been propagating since. We've had weekend experiences that are very similar to what you described with the Warrior Weekend. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's nothing short of, of uh, incredible you know, with, with the transformations, like you said. Beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. So, yeah, and, and there's a certain sense of legacy for me in that, you know, to know that's going on for sure. Does, uh, before we wrap this up, man, what, what, give us the name of your book one more time, the name of your book that's actually coming out in January. It's called uh, Tears of Sorrow, Tears of Joy. Stories and lessons 
of a grace-filled life. I do talk about Tumos in the book. There's a logo. There's, you know, kind of your statement. If someone were to buy the uh, e-book version, when you get to that, you can click a link and it will take them to the Thumos website. Oh, neat. Neat. Well, I'll be sure to check this book out when it comes out. Um, what, one more question for you. What, what, uh, what do you tell your grandkids when you talk about life and what they should be thinking about in life? What, what do you tell your grandkids? Oh, gosh, I have such incredible grandkids. I have 10 grandkids. They're all young adults, brilliant. They're all all out in the world now. There's one left in nursing school. I did the wedding vows for my grandson and a granddaughter. I actually did their vows. That was pretty astonishing. And I also did the vows for my youngest son who remarried and, uh, you know, they, you know, they are, they listen, they listen to my stories. My wife and I are both, you know, just passionate lovers of Christ. My wife is different than I am. I'm extrovert. She's, she's the hands and feet of Jesus and everything she does. So, um, you know, I, so, I, I, you know, the world that they live in is just overwhelming to me. I mean, with the technology and the chaos and, the whole thing. So I just steadfastly talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and who they are, <clears throat> you know, and they're, and they're all unique and living in their own way. And, you know, I think um, they, they would say about grandpa and Nana that we are, we have the kind of marriage they'd like to have. In fact, they say that all the time. <clears throat> I think that influences they're thinking somehow. I don't know. <clears throat> so, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, you know, being a grandparent is beautiful. Oh, that's cool, Stan. And listen, I, I just want to thank you for taking the time. I know you're a, you're a busy man with the book coming out soon. Uh, I appreciate you being on here and just sharing kind of a, a few insights into uh, into your life. Sounds like we're going to be able to read the book and get a lot more out of it. So that's uh, that's fantastic. And uh, I also want to thank everyone else on the call right now for listening. If you like what you've heard, please remember to follow, share, give us a strong review. And if you're a man out there searching for improvement and growth, be sure to check out strongdadscommunity.com. Uh, so go ahead and wrap this up. Stan, thank you so much for today. Charlie, one last word. Yes. I love you. And I love all those men out there. (laughs) I love you too, Stan. Thank you. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.